From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, January 17th. New Grand County Attorney Stephen Stocks has spent a little over two weeks in office, mainly attending, as he says, a lot of meetings. The county attorney's office is responsible for criminal and civil legal work and interacts with quite a few different departments. Stocks recently spent time with KZMU News to talk about what's on his mind early on in this elected position. It's quite a learning experience. There is so much I don't know about this office. Um, I have filled my days with meetings, which does not sound very exciting, but uh, it involves meeting a lot of the people that are involved in the county, uh, meeting with all the department heads, meeting with a lot of different unique perspectives so that I can help do my job as the county attorney and provide the service that I need to provide to them. With your role as advisor to the commission, what's your strategy there? My goal is to be as accessible as they'd like me to be. And so if they reach out for questions and say, hey, research this issue, that's why I'm here, is to really be the attorney. The county is the client. Basically, in my brain, how I've kind of um, you know organized it is we have a translator because the county as a whole speaks a different language. And the people that have been voted to be our translators are our seven commissioners. And so each one of them may speak a different dialect Within the, within the county. And so they'll report that back to me and say, oh, the community wants to know about this, 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 and each translate differently. But at the end of the day, when the translators all meet, they vote and majority is kind of what the public decides through their electeds. My job isn't to make policy changes, just to either say, well, if it's legal or not, um, and what are the steps that we can do to be better at uh, making sure things are transparent and open. And that's really been a lot of this uh, stuff that I've gone through as I get to see what's happening with the county right now and kind of picking up where my predecessor, where she was at in the, in the role of things. And I'll continue to carry on a lot of the things that were previous. For example, the lawsuit that continues, um, we'll, we'll pick up and continue working on and I will, I will admit it's a lot more than I thought in the beginning. The county is vast and has many different roles, and not only is it county staff, they also have boards and uh, committees and other commissions, and there's a lot of people that need help on a variety of topics, and so it's drinking from a fire hose, like you said, right before we got started. Now, you mentioned the lawsuit. Do you mind reminding listeners um, what that is? So there's been a lawsuit through a couple of businesses, UTV businesses, and it's been spearheaded by the Blue Ribbon Coalition. Essentially, uh, there were concerns about some of the ordinances that Grand County passed and some amendments to titles uh, in the ordinances. And so it's in the discovery phase of the court case, which means both sides are exchanging information. And so we're just getting up to speed on that and kind of moving forward as provided by the county attorney's office, but the ultimate decisions um, will be done by the Grand County Commission. And then I remember from your campaign, you were talking a bit about updates to drug court. Can you tell us about that and what you're thinking about there? Well, there's a lot of people in this community that struggle with uh, addiction and they need the support that they can get. And I've uh, talked with our new sheriff and it's important to him about the county's response to the drug problems that the communities have and making sure we have the resources. The goal is to make sure we're doing everything that we can to both address the problem, but also do it in a way that's not punitive and instead that's restorative and provides tools to to individuals. And so once I get on my feet a bit more and I get done with doing a lot of the meetings, I'll be able to be more involved in that process. What is your philosophy on the prosecutor's role when it comes to restorative justice in the drug court? 
there's a lot of cool tools that the prosecutor has at their disposal. There's a thing called a plea in abeyance. What a plea in abeyance is, is it's not exactly like a do-over, but to boil it down, you agree with the prosecutor that you'll do certain things. And a lot of times it's a fine, um, an assessment, drug assessment. And when you do an assessment, you meet with a provider that can say that's, that's certified and licensed in the state of Utah, and they can say, hey, we need you to do these courses. Not necessarily go in and do uh, rehabilitation, you know, rehab as we hear, like the big classes, but instead tells you about certain classes that you need to take, and then you have to remain crime-free for a certain period of time. And if you do those things, then the case will be dismissed. And that's really exciting for a lot of people. Somebody might find themselves in a situation where uh, maybe they have an, an addiction problem and they had methamphetamine or cocaine or something more serious. And if they're able to do things, they essentially get it to where the case will eventually be dismissed. And in fact, if they get it dismissed by a plea in advance, they could actually expunge it from the record, which deletes any government records of the case, which can be life-changing for people. You know, what else is on your mind, either in the near term or the long term, as county attorney? Uh, there's there's just so much to do, and I will openly admit that I'm uh, there are things I'm ignorant about because I haven't learned about them. Although it's day six, it feels like I'm a month in with all the information that I've gotten, and it's been astonishing. There are so many people that work in the county, and so I'll probably need to get in about a month or two months more before I'll, I'll be able to dive into substantive changes or policies that I'd like to see. Um, but it's quite the learning process, and I'm partly excited because I'm a super nerd, um, but also it's kind of trying to stay above water for a little bit, trying to have to kick really hard. That's new Grand County Attorney Stephen Stocks speaking about his first few weeks in office. We spoke with former Grand County Attorney Christina Sloan on Monday's newscast. You can find that interview in this one at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yesterday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Dr. Rayland Rabaka, founder and director of the University of Colorado Boulder's Center for African and African American Studies, says he thinks of MLK Day as Civil Rights Movement Day and as part of a continuum of protest going back centuries. Martin Luther King Jr. continued a struggle that started during our enslavement, right? And the uh, progressive people we got together with in the abolitionist movement. Yes. And so the civil rights movement is nothing but the 20th century version of the abolitionist movement. And now what I'm trying to do is expand the realm of possibility of what it is that we're talking about when we say abolition. Dr. Rabaka says he thinks the current abolitionist movement should also focus on the abolition of the prison and the military-industrial complex. A boat from the early 1900s has been uncovered on the shores of the shrinking Great Salt Lake. Max McDermott with our partners at Utah Public Radio reports. Angelique Anderson, a ranger at Great Salt Lake State Park, says the boat is the W.E. Marsh No. 4. According to Anderson, the 40-foot motorized boat, complete with a cabin, was made in San Francisco and brought to Utah between 1902 and 1904. It was used in helping to build the Lucent Cutoff. That's the railroad that cuts the lake in half. They would transport passengers from other areas of the lake and bring supplies to the railroad. She had a speed up to 8 miles an hour, which was awesome at the time. The W.E. Marsh was used by the railroad for several decades before being donated to the Sea Scouts. 
The last recorded mention of the W.E. Marsh was in the 1950s, when the Sea Scouts used the boat on a volunteer search and rescue mission. It wasn't until 2014 that the W.E. Marsh was discovered by accident outside the Great Salt Lake State Park Marina Breakwall. A sailor had gone out and actually lost his keel in our deep channel, and so we had to try and locate that keel to make sure it wasn't going to become a hazard. They actually saw a side sonar. They saw what looked to be an outline of a boat. They sent a diver down. He confirmed it was a boat. And that's when it was figured out to be the W.E. Marsh number four. It wasn't until 2022 that lake water levels dropped low enough to uncover the boat. Anderson says the waterline has receded so that visitors to the Great Salt Lake State Park can practically walk up to the boat. I'm Max McDermott. A new database reveals that museums and universities across the U.S. still hold the remains of more than 100,000 Native Americans. That's despite a federal law passed over 30 years ago to help return these remains to tribes. The Mountain West News Bureau's Caleb Radel has more. In the Mountain West, tribes are still waiting for more than 11,000 of their ancestors' remains to be made available for return. That's according to nonprofit news outlet ProPublica. More than half of those remains are owed to Arizona tribes. New Mexico tribes are waiting for over 3,200 remains, and Utah tribes nearly 1,400. Nicole Crawford is with the Stealing Culture Project in Wyoming. She says museums holding remains need to change their mindsets. We put numbers on them and we put them in a box and we categorize them. And so they essentially become an object. And I think we need to rethink about how we think about objects in the museum to really start this healing process that we can be a part of um, with the tribes. Crawford says many museums don't have staff dedicated to reporting Native American remains in their possession and engaging with tribes. I'm Caleb Bradle. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, January 17th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.